Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. June 1st, that's the extended deadline for folks that own and operate short-term rentals here in Atlanta to comply with some recent changes. Now, if you're one of those folks and you're like, this is news to me, Rose, then I suggest you pay attention this hour because there are new rules and permit requirements for short-term rentals in the Atlanta area, in Atlanta. We'll talk about that. Also, a conversation with retiring Atlanta Police Chief Rodney Bryant. All that's just ahead. But first this, Fulton County Judge Charmella Williams has temporarily delayed, temporarily delayed the execution of a Georgia man scheduled to die for the killing of an eight-year-old girl 46 years ago. Virgil Presnell Jr. was sentenced to death in October of 1976 for murdering the eight-year-old and then raping her 10-year-old friend after abducting the girls as they walked home from school. This was in Cobb County. Presnell was scheduled to die by lethal injection at Jackson State Prison today at 7 p.m. Now, Georgia's parole board denied clemency. However, lawyers for the Federal Defender Program filed a lawsuit last week and an emergency motion was issued yesterday. Judge Williams granted the injunction, halting the execution, agreeing that Presnell's execution date violates a written agreement with the state attorney general's office that temporarily put executions on hold because of the coronavirus pandemic. And WABE News will have more later today during All Things Considered, hosted by Jim Burrs. In other news, a key step for those families left at the neglected Forest Cove Apartments. The city of Atlanta has now approved a million and a half dollars to help replace, to help move them out and find a better place. Stephanie Stokes has more. The funding has been in the works since February, shortly after WABE published a year-long investigation following the complex's unsafe conditions and residents' long wait for change. Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens visited the complex and announced the city would pay to relocate the residents. In total, his office plans to dedicate more than $9 million to the effort to cover moving costs and support services. The nonprofit Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta will be in charge of the funding for now. The complex's owner is supposed to reimburse the city eventually. Forest Cove is a federally subsidized complex where residents only spend a third of their income on rent. Stephanie Stokes, WABE News. And we're going to have more in terms of the backstory regarding Forest Cove. In case you haven't heard it, we'll have that a little bit later in the program. Now, it's never too early to learn about saving money. Kindergarten students in low-income schools in Atlanta will get savings accounts paid for by the city. As we hear from Martha Dalton, this announcement comes from Atlanta Public Schools. The program starts kids off with a one-time deposit of $50. Families can make additional deposits to help the money grow, but students can't withdraw the funds until they graduate from an APS high school. At that time, the money can go toward college tuition, books, or other education-related expenses. Banking Group City will hold the accounts and offer consulting services. The program will also offer financial literacy workshops for students and parents. Martha Dalton, WABE News. And a note of disclosure, WABE's broadcast license is held by the Atlanta Board of Education. And finally, there is the matchup we've been waiting for. Howard got by Smith. Howard flips it up. And give Ryan Howard 29. Actually give Ryan Howard 33 points. The Atlanta Dream rookie is the WNBA's Eastern Conference Player of the Year of the Week. She could be the year. Why not? Howard averaged 20.8 game, 20.8 points per game. Also, she grabbed five rebounds and had a couple of assists as the team is off to a three wins and one loss record. The Atlanta Dream play Indiana tonight. Way to go, Dream. And Ryan Howard. This is closer look. 
Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. According to Air DNA, this is a real estate data company that collects data on short-term rentals throughout the country. There are, according to them, pay attention, 10,641 active short-term rentals operating in the metro Atlanta area. And depending on who you ask, you'll get a lot of different opinions on what's metro Atlanta. But we want you to know that. Now, depending on also whom you ask, there are pros and cons to operating a short-term rental property, and there are varying opinions on laws and guidelines regarding these short-term rentals. Well, operators of short-term rentals like Airbnbs and Verbals, well, now you need to understand this. Yes, you have the opportunity to rake in cash by offering a platform for folks to rent their properties, but then there's this. Investors who purchase properties, some say only to use them as short-term rental, sometimes prevent first-time home buyers or buyers in general from purchasing a property. So there is all of that. Now, let's get to Atlanta because short-term rentals, there are some rules, guidelines, regulations, laws, whatever you have. That's what we have in Atlanta. And now we're going to find out more about it because I'm tired of y'all emailing me saying I knew nothing about these short-term rentals, new rules and permits. So let's ask Gregory Pace. He's the director of the Office of Buildings at the City of Atlanta, Department of City Planning. Director Pace, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Ms. Scott, um, it's a pleasure. Thank you. All right, let's begin here because we have a lot to talk about. But first, and, and I hope this doesn't seem like a simplistic question, but folks need to know, let's really define short-term rental and is it specified in terms of the amount of days that someone is renting their property, their home, whatever have you. That's correct. The um, Basically, the ordinance that was passed defines it as an accommodation where in exchange for compensation, a residential dwelling unit is provided for lodging for a period of not to exceed 30 consecutive days. That's 30 consecutive days to one particular group or person. That's correct. And you said residential, because I want to be really clear about this, that this new legislation regarding short, short-term rentals apply to privately owned residents, not commercial properties such as extended stays and all of that. That's accurate. That's correct. Before we get into, take a deeper dive into that, prior to this new legislation, did you feel like y'all had a pretty good handle on sort of regulating and, and, and handling all of this, or was it, it was definitely needed? This was, it was definitely needed. We did not have a handle on it. Um, the ordinance was very limited in how it addressed it. And so with this, um, as time went on, of course, this, this, this expanded, the, the opportunity for short-term rentals expanded, started out. I don't know which company started first, but Airbnb, of course, mm-hmm. is probably the largest. And this has become such a major issue in a lot of cities throughout the nation. Do you, do you know if the city council looked at what other cities were doing, or do you really have to craft it based on what, you know, the region where, where the city lies? Because it's going to be different in, in, for different parts of the nation. That's accurate. Um, I, I honestly can't speak for what the council looked at prior to. I do know that there were some questions regarding it, and we there was some um, some comparison to some other major cities or sister cities, as they, as they say, but I don't know whether or not mm-hmm. they used that in coming to their decision and concluding this legislation that was passed. What were some of the major concerns prior to this new legislation you talked about the city didn't have a good handle on? Let's go through some of those. What 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 would you say were like maybe the top two or three issues that you all really needed to address? 
party houses. Mm-hmm. That was that was the main thing. A lot of people having them or using them for um, events. Mm-hmm. So events and party houses, houses that just strictly wanted to be rented out for parties and becoming a really, um, um the neighborhood, disrupting the neighborhood mm-hmm. and things of that nature. And that was one of the main, main concerns. So they weren't really technically staying there. They just wanted a place to, hey, let's have a party. That's correct. They, and, and some may have stayed there for, for had, had rented it for three days or three-day mm-hmm. weekend and had a party every single night that mm-hmm. weekend. So especially holiday weekends were very, very um, troubling. So let's move into the, the new rules and guidelines for operating a short-term rental within the Atlanta city limit, which is key because we're talking about Atlanta's city limits. First of all, there is a fee. And what is that fee? It's $150. Mm-hmm. And that's for up to two, um, two properties. Two properties. Do you, if you are the owner, do you have to reside in the city of Atlanta, even though you're short-term rental is in Atlanta and you, you may live somewhere else. I don't know, East Point or Alpharetta. Yes, the ordinance requires that you, um, your primary residence be in the city of Atlanta. Why? I'm curious. Um, in, in reality, that's that's the only, I guess, I, I can't speculate on what the intent of the ordinance was. Mm-hmm. That's just how it was written that they would like for their residents to have residency, their primary residence within the city of Atlanta in order to get a light, to obtain a license. Because as you know, and again, you are just enforcing and you're the compliance department, so we want to be fair, you did not craft the legislation. Because as you know, a lot of folks have properties in the city of Atlanta, in cities that they don't even live in. Mm-hmm. But for this exactly. purpose, if you own or operate or an Airbnb, not, we shouldn't say just Airbnb, a short-term rental, your primary residence has to be in the city of Atlanta, but not necessarily that residence. Does that make not sense? necessarily. For example, no, I, 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 I own an a, a Airbnb for whatever, a short-term rental on Cheshire Bridge. Do I have to live at that residence or do I just have to have a residence in Atlanta, my own personal residence? But basically, the ordinance states your primary residence. So if you're listed as that, that being your primary residence, you show us proof that's your primary residence, then you're allowed to apply for a short-term rental license. What if you have one now and it's not been? Are those folks grandfathered in and they're okay? Or will they no longer be allowed to operate a short-term rental in the city if they haven't previously had that as their primary residence? Currently, our, our legal advisors are basically interpreting that they're, they're they're coming to an interpretation to determine whether or not those that were utilizing their property as a short-term rental mm-hmm. will be considered non-conforming or in layman's terms grandfathered in for that use now mind you as you came on the air and stated um some there was some website or someone that states that there were over ten thousand. If, you know, short-term rentals in mm-hmm. Metro Atlanta. Of course, mm-hmm. this Metro Atlanta has many definitions. Sure. However, we don't have a, a grasp or a hold or an accurate count of what that number may be. But the, the answer to your question, the, that's on our legal department currently right now. And mm-hmm. I, I, I cannot really, I can't say one way or another sure. whether it's going to be yes or no. How will you all monitor and be able to decide if someone is actually in compliance with with this new ordinance does that fall in your department are you all going to go it actually yeah it actually falls on our department um if there isn't a if if there's not a license currently we've suspended enforcement on it um through legislation Mm -hmm. until june june 2nd june 1st is the last date um and so most well all all of them will be complaint driven Mm -hmm. we won't know unless someone complains about one and then we go investigate that matter now, we are in the process of procuring a software company that will do the sweeping of all um, short-term rental platforms and will be able to help us with that enforcement. Is that legal? Can y'all do that? Can y'all go to somebody else's website and and acquire their data and information there, director? <laughs> it's a chaos. <laughs> <As> a, I, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, as I was taught, <laughs> 
I'm not an attorney and I don't play one on the TV or the radio. Y'all just, so. <laughs> how you going to acquire this information? Uh, all right. Now you don't get you and Mary Dickens going to be in court. Um, <laughs> because, and, and I have, and I have, and, and listeners have been emailing me this. And if the effort is to crack down on the, the party houses, which I haven't heard anyone that says, oh, we need more party houses. Will this indeed do that? Or is it just a, a way for you all to maybe over-regulate something that people don't think you should be heavily regulating to begin with, as long as folks follow the laws? Or is this a way, in other words, to make sure these owners understand that you are responsible for who's in your house, and when they do something wrong, you're responsible? Is, is this? Yeah. Yeah. And so to answer your question, first and foremost, there was legislation passed about party houses. Mm-hmm. So making them illegal in certain certain zoning districts. Mm-hmm. So there was a legislation passed prior to the short-term rental legislation. Ordinance. So there is a legislation on party houses and their uses and where they are allowed. Um, the latter question, as opposed to this, the short-term rental um, regulations, it was something that was needed. Um, mm-hmm. It With anything, you know, you want everybody to be fair about what they're doing and follow some rules and guidelines. And so to just have the quote unquote wild, wild west to allow people to mm-hmm. just rent their properties um, in any manner, shape or form, you know, it, it can, it can for, for, for those that do not want them in their neighborhood or at least want to have some regulations behind it or at least do not want to have a commercial entity mm-hmm. and disturb their fabric of the fabric of their neighborhood, it's kind of beneficial for both parties. And Director Pace, even though you did not have a hand in crafting the legislation, did the city council speak to you all about in terms of we're going to pass this, but was do you have enough people in your department to to regulate this? And you have all these new law, you have these new guidelines, so folks are calling I'm asking you some questions, some questions you're like, I don't know, that's not in my wheelhouse, but do you have what you need to enforce this and, and run this with these new laws? Well, they, we did speak to council in regards to the staffing that we would what would need. And of course, we have that staffing now um, who's handling those, those applications as they come in as, as expeditiously as possible. And, you know, we got off to a rocky start, so to speak, when it mm-hmm. first was implemented, but we're, we're, we're on track. We're meeting our deadlines and our SLAs. The enforcement piece of it is another beast, another monster. And we've been, uh, we had already staffed up for enforcement as well. So we're, we're, I believe we're prepared and we're ready. Um, if, and of course, with this, we wanted to at least try this out for definitely a year. Mm-hmm. And then if more is needed, we would go back to council and commissioners for that. I'm sure your office has been inundated with a lot of questions. What are you hearing from these folks who own Airbnb, short-term rentals in our region? What are some of the concerns and questions they have? Well, um, some of the concerns, as you mentioned, was the um, the, the primary piece. residence. Yeah. yeah, the primary residence piece and the grandfathering, grandfathering piece. Those are two main, main concerns. So those again, um, the primary primary residency again, as you as you reiterated, I didn't craft the legislation. We're enforced. We're we're you know it's our job to enforce that regulation. And in order to, I can't I cannot our staff cannot administratively waive that ordinance. So sure. that would have to be an amendment to the legislation through council and the mayor's office in order to remove that. So should folks who currently and I have an email here. Should folks who currently operate an Airbnb, a short-term rental in the region, in Atlanta, should they go ahead and still file for this new permit, even if they live somewhere else and it is not their primary residence right now? What do you suggest they do? I would suggest if they, if they, ha- if they have a residence that they have listed as their primary residence, submit for their application. Um if they have any questions regarding that, they can always call our office. They can they can still apply. And if we see that they qualify for the license, we will definitely approve the license. If not, we will let them know as well, this is this is what we need. To what, do, what do you need? Like a utility bill or something like that? Or yeah, utility bill. We on our website we kind of have a bunch of different um forms or or things that you can utilize in order to you know, verify your 
home ownership, um, utility bill, a deed, record of deeds, um, tax bill, et cetera. Evolution says, how can your home be your primary residence and an air and a short-term rental at the same time? That's a good question. I don't know if you what can you answer mean, that. How can it be? Well, I guess, I mean, yeah. So, so to give you an, give you an example, um, prior to this, um, legislation, one of the, one of the complaints we investigated was that of an owner of a home that was his primary residence, but he was a pilot. So he spent majority of the time flying and he flew overseas. Mm-hmm. And so in, in working with him, he rented out his property during the times he knew he would not be there. Sure. So it's, 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 it's a secondary, basically a second form of income. Mm-hmm. You're not always there. And there's some people that even, even in the military that are deployed mm-hmm. for time, stints of a time, or, you know, certain times of the year that they may have a primary residence in the city of Atlanta and say, you know, it's just sitting here vacant. I can hire a, hire a short-term rental agent to watch over this and I can put it out there to rent while I'm away. And that's what happens. Because there are also other there are occupancy occupancy taxes and fees that goes to these short term rentals. Do y'all get a piece of that as well? Do you know if the city gets any of those? Yes, and yeah. the, well, the legislation that was passed, they they have to pay an occupancy tax mm-hmm. um, directly to the business to our finance department, um, and that's collected by the platform. Now, let me ask you this: What's the difference? Because I've seen this on YouTube. I'll admit, folks telling operators how to get around this by saying list the short-term rental under your business and then the people that stay there are your clients and you don't have to worry about any of this i I can't i don't i don't know anything about that that's new that's new to me um but you get it right you you get i I do understand what you're saying yeah and it yeah, I would have to defer to my attorneys. I have to talk to them about that. That's yeah, y'all, that's y- yeah, y'all gonna need to talk to the law department, Director Pace, because I do. You, y'all gonna have a lot of <laughs> have a lot of questions. People that yeah. Well, what we have, I, I I will admit. I mean, this has been this is this has been a very um, touchy subject. It's 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 a hot topic item. Um, yeah. Even prior to this, I have regular meetings with my with the law department, with my attorneys, um, mm-hmm. because of zoning and zoning regulations and the building permit process. So my weekly meetings since this prior to this passage, majority of them now we have is conversations surrounding short term rent. Mm-hmm. So, and one hundred fifty dollars per for at least two properties, right? That's the, that goes to your department or just to the city's general fund? Because maybe I mean. You doing all the work? <laughs> Is that going to go to your your department? Well, well I, my department it's 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 my department is a part of the general fund. Okay, so I'll say that. <laughs> so it will go into the general fund. Yes, ma'am. Director Pace, I don't envy you at all. Um, again, for folks, because that June first deadline is coming up, and again, I want our listeners to understand for those who are operating a short term rental in the city within the city of Atlanta limits. The first thing they need to do is they need to apply for the license. That's correct. They do that online. Do they have to go down to City Hall? They can go. To, they can do that online. We have a portal online, and they they can go to the city's website and um, um, Atlanta AtlantaGA.gov backslash or forward slash how it is. And that wh- way, short term rental, one word. And what documentation will they need? Do they upload this? Do they need to get anything notarized? All of those details are right there on the website. Everything that they need to submit and, and samples of that. There's even two webinars, um, videos that actually show them step-by-step process. There's a step-by-step mm-hmm. process tutorial in there as well. We tried to put as much information out there as possible to assist the customers. And of course, we have an email address and a phone main phone number to contact. And we should note with this new legislation also, even if you are cleared and you are the operator of a short-term rental, and I'm going to talk to Chief Rodney Bryan in a, in a moment. If your guests or clients are acting up and do something they ain't supposed to be doing and they get in trouble, you as the operator will also get a fine as well, correct? That's correct. And um, they, they can also be, we can also revoke their license as well. Hmm. 
one is it is it like demerits? You get one demerit, two demerit, three demerits. Well, it's it's three it's three violations. Three violations, um, three strikes, three, and you three, out. Yeah, three complaints. Um, at any point in time, a citation can be issued once a correction notice has been has been issued. A correction notice is issued first, then a citation if they haven't complied with that correction notice, and so that can go to municipal court in its in in itself. As we wrap up, Director Pace, what concerns do you have? Do you think, and I know it's just early, you want to probably wait till the deadline is, has come and gone, but then you all will need to do an assessment in terms of, okay, these are still some areas and maybe you need to go back to city council to may ask them to, you know, cons- reconsider some things. What are concerns you have here? It's kind of early right now. Um, we just, we, we kind of want to make sure that everybody understands the process and can apply for the license. If it, if the, if the process seems to be very convoluted and, and, and inundating, then we wanna see how we can streamline that process and make it, make it better. And so those are the things that steps we will first look at. And then we'll look at enforcement and how, how that's going and what we need to do to, to, to make that better and but, educate our customers. But you do feel like that there, sh- do you feel that there should be a process or a, at least at some point you all look at if you are getting a lot of concerns and, or even complaints, people saying, well, this isn't really clear as it relates to legislation. And also for those folks who've been, who've been operating short-term rentals and have never had any complaints and they're, they're, they're good neighbors, so to speak. And then if you all deny them to be grandfathered in or they can't continue, then, you know, now you possibly messing with someone's, you know, livelihood. I mean, do you feel there needs to be some type of appeal process maybe or at least start well, working there, on an appeal process. There, there is an appeal process that is that that we're trying to um, uh, trying to finalize. But there is an appeal process, and they will have the rights to an appeal mm-hmm. once um, within thirty days of, of of a decision of an adverse decision. I have a listener who wants to know in terms of residential and commercial. The listener says. Well, my property is technically not in a residential or commercial property who, or, or area. They said they said zone. I'm thinking they mean area. So who gets to decide whether or not I'm in a residential or commercial? That's subjective. Would y'all have to well, go it's, out it's, and look? No, it's not actually subjective. It's it's based on your zoning district. Every okay. property in the city of Atlanta has a zoning district, mm-hmm. and that zoning district designates whether you're residential based on the list of residential zoning districts. And commercial, based on the commercial resident, commercial district. So that zoning district will dictate whether you're residential or commercial. So I don't know where this person's dwelling is. Maybe it's, I don't know where it is. Uh, what about tiny homes and, and container? Those are modulated. All that falls under this too? If I have a tiny yes, ma'am. Okay. Yes, ma'am. All right. Are you, are you ready for all this, Director Pace? I have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't make the register. I'm just making sure folks know where to send the check. Of course, we, we we're ready. We're um we're answer, we're we're here to serve the customers. We're answering the questions that we need to answer and accommodate them the best that we can under the circumstances. All right, we'll bring you back maybe after uh, June 1st. That's the deadline, correct? Yes, yes. Unless it get extended now. <laughs> but yes, definitely anytime. All right, Gregory Pace, the director of the Office of Buildings for the City of Atlanta Department of City Planning. And we've been talking about those new guidelines and rules, permit requirements for short-term rentals in Atlanta. Director Pace, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We're going to have you come back and see how all this is planning out. I appreciate it. And on behalf of the mayor and my, the interim commissioner, Janie Sidafall, I, I thank you all for having me. All right, thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. And Closer Look continues now from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. After serving on the Atlanta Police Department for a total of 34 years, Atlanta Police Chief Rodney Bryant is retiring, we think. He said that once before, but we're going to really see. He's stepping down. He's retirement. Now, Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens says the city is conducting a nationwide search for a new police chief. And Chief Bryant actually came out of retirement to leave the department in 2020 after Chief Eric then Chief Erica Shields resigned, and he joins now to talk about what else, public safety, and what we consider now is the current state of policing in so many communities. Chief Bryant, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for having me. You know, once again, we're going to get into your decades plus of law enforcement and, and the current state of policing. But I do want to get your thoughts on because yet again, we've had a horrific mass shootings that have taken place in our nation. Uh, obviously, Buffalo, New York and the church shooting in California. What do you make of this, Chief? Uh, you know, I think that we <clears throat> it's sad that this has become so commonplace in our society. Uh, I know the chief up in Buffalo quite well, uh, and I know that they're going through you know, some very trying times. But the sad thing is he's not the only one. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen this play out throughout our country. And I think that w what we have to do is, is uh, address things differently. Uh, we, I don't want to label this anything other than hate for right now. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be other variables that play into it, but it's important that our society get into a space that we take these mass shootings seriously uh, so that we could better protect the rest of our society. You know, we could have so many conversations related to this in terms of, is this about gun legislation? Is this about, you know, hate crimes and, and rhetoric that's spewed by this faction or this faction. There's so many optics around this. And I was reading a piece, it was an op-ed, and, and I can't remember the author, but they said, you know, the policing in America has, has to go beyond just a police force. That now it really takes all these other entities in line, in partnership with a police department, particularly in urban areas, to, to really combat this. Is that something that you subscribe to or is it too much of, you know what, we are here to protect and serve, to protect and serve. And that's what we need to get better of or, and you don't want to worry about trying to bring in all these other partners. What's your take on all that? Well, I, I do. I think that public safety is the responsibility of the public and that policing only is one piece of that pie. Uh, for us to really have a robust and safe society, it takes all of us, not just one entity. Uh, it's like um, building a house. Uh, mm -hmm. If you want to build a house, you don't, you wouldn't re require the electrician to build the framework, or you wouldn't allow the contractor to just do the electrical. You have all these different entities, all these different professions to come in to make a very sound house. And I think what we're asking uh, for policing today is to go beyond. And those are the challenges that we're being faced with, that we aren't requiring uh, other entities to, mm -hmm. to hold up and be a part of this public safety piece. If you could create the template or the blueprint for effective, and I'm talking about policing now, we'll get to the, the the, the uptick in violent crimes, but in terms of policing and specific communities, throughout your, your decades of being in law enforcement, what has worked and what's no longer working? What has worked um, is when you have, uh, let's see what we look at, what, look, what we see in Vine City. Uh, when you had the police, the Atlanta Police Foundation, the city, nonprofits, uh, the Arthur Blank Foundation, philanthropy, all of them investing into a particular area of our city. And you see how greatly it has changed. Um, and, and everywhere you see growth where you saw significant challenges, there was no one piece that fixed it. It mm -hmm. took a number of people having an investment in that. Uh, what does not work is just relying on policing. There was a time when uh, clearly we used um, policing to be the muscle of public safety back when we had Red Dog and things of that nature. Uh, yes, we had street level crime. Yes, that team addressed a different level of crime, but we now recognize this. Uh, there's no way that we can arrest our way out of mm -hmm. those places. And so. Those are the things that we have to do differently, that we cannot use arrest as a mean to uh, fixing problems. You and I both know that for our youth, particularly youth that come from what we call <clears throat> low income or no income or, or distressed or disadvantaged communities, 
often the lure to get involved in, in criminal activity with gangs, what have you, because they because because they're living in poverty. You understand that. And I have folks say you address that issue. You can immediately bring down your uptick in, in crimes that you've got to focus. You've got to give the resources to the community so they are not likely to commit criminal acts because it's out of a necessity in their mind, a necessity to feed the family or what have you. It, 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 how key is that as well? And I'm just talking about now vital. with the youth. I want to focus on the youth for a moment. No, I think it, I think it's vital. But once again, I think it's just one piece. Um, I think that what people, are, what we think will happen is if you can have a civil bullet and it'll fix uh, a number of our issues. I think it's just one piece of the pie. I think that you have to, uh, and you can't in, you can't invest in each kid the exact same way. Mm-hmm. What's what's important to you may be different than what's important to me, but we both desire uh, to grow. And so it's a matter of, well, how do you find what works for this child as opposed to what's happening with this child? What, why is it different for a child that is growing up in a single family home, like I did with just my mother, as opposed to one who grows up with his mother and father, Mm -hmm. yet living in much more challenged community, Mm -hmm. uh, gang violence in that community. How do you reach both, um, both kids to help them on a better path? That's the greater challenge. But I think uh, you have to at least start with an a strong investment in our youth. Because the gangs lure our youth with some of the promises that they, that they want, whether it's just more money, or something like that. And, and in some instances, and you know this, the gangs have a, a a family structure that may be better than that that kid's household. Right. Right. And that that goes back to it. You, you may have a, a, a father and a mother in the house, uh, but it's not a stable household. And that, that very child could be looking for love. Uh, or uh, the single the, the child growing up uh, in a single family home, that child may desire... Uh, funding, uh, money, quick money, mm-hmm. uh, because they can't go and do things that they would like to do. And so it requires us to uh, invest differently uh, and study differently into these communities and find out why we're losing so many kids to to the streets and to the gang and invest in those. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis in these recent indictments um, involving two well-known popular uh, artists, uh, young Thug and, and, and Gunna, you know that. Fonnie Willis stating that she believes through her lens that the gangs that they're involved in, if they are involved in these gangs, are responsible for nearly maybe up to 80% of the violent crime in Atlanta. Now, there, I, I don't know if there's any data that ac- accurately supports that or proves that, Chief Brian, but through your lens, is that is that accurate? Is well, that close? I'll say, I'll say this. I, I think the game plays a significant role in what we're seeing as it relates to violence, and it could be directly or indirectly as it relates to what we're seeing in the city of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Directly is, yes, uh, gang on gang involvement plays a significant role. But indirectly, uh, a gang member may, um, n- not in relation to his gang, but he's a part of a gang and he's doing something on his own. He's beating up his girlfriend. He's breaking into cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so, yes, that is a contributing factor to what we are saying. You all, I remember when the city of Atlanta, I believe it, you, you weren't chief. I was another chief and you all had a, these gang task force. We know the state of Georgia has a gang task force. Are you all working together? And, and is there this collaboration? One may argue, well, you have this this Georgia gang task force and Governor Campus touted this and the GBI Director Reynolds. Are you all working together? Because if you still have Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Go ahead. Absolutely. We, um, we work with them. We're a part of the task force. I tell you, the uniqueness is that in the city of Atlanta and mostly in our states, we don't have the traditional gangs like you would see on the, on the uh, West Coast and up in the northern part of our country. 
Uh, our gangs tend to be very fluid. They, uh, you can be a member of one gang today and another gang tomorrow. That's something traditionally you just don't see. And that's the difficulty is that <clears throat> uh, people uh, transverse through different gangs uh, in our city. But we are working very co collaboratively with both our federal, state, and other local partners uh, to get ahead of the, what we're seeing as it relates to gang enforcement. I want to, and we could spend so much, so many more <laughs> minutes talking about this, but I do want to move over into just through your lens in these last decades that you've been involved in law enforcement in the current state. And I asked you about what's an effective, uh, you know, blueprint for policing. As you retire, what what concerns do you have? I mean, we, you could talk about low morale among officers. You could talk about retention rates. I mean, there's so much, not just to the city of Atlanta, but just so much related to issues many police departments have. But as you leave, well, what yeah. are those concerns for you? I think all of those are, are concerns. Um, but I think uh, the future of policing is to truly identify its mission and make sure that it's supported in doing that. Uh, I think that when <clears throat> where we find ourselves today is when other institutions fail, we call on the police department to fix that. Uh, and so that's why you see policing around homelessness. That's why you see uh, policing around truancy, uh, gang, um, gang youth violence, and things of that nature. Um, we have to mental health. We we have expanded into all of those uh, uh, lanes to mm -hmm. address and make sure that our society remain uh, at some level of peace. What we have to do is identify true institutions and support those institutions that are better carved out and better equipped uh, and provide the better resources to handle uh, some of the things that we are seeing in policing. And then you will, I think that what we will see is uh, people coming back to the profession because it is a challenge. It is a, it's a demand on, on police officers right now. And what about the training of our officers? And you know, whenever there is an, and they use this term police involved shooting or police involved killing, what about the training of officers? And even just in how folks who are in, who want to be in law enforcement that maybe shouldn't be in law enforcement because they have these biases. And listen, we can argue all day about where well, everybody has a bias, but when you are carrying a weapon and when you are employed to protect and serve, but you have these blanket generalizations about what crime looks like and who commits crime. And maybe you're not fair or lawful in how you address certain folks in society when it comes to one doing their job as a police officer. In other words, you know, officers who just are not equipped to really be an officer because, look, you and I both know the killing of, of unarmed citizens. And I know you can get into all the optics around, well, this happened and this officer felt this threat and this, that and the third. But, Chief Brian, you know, there's so just this, this is a big problem. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> another space that we find ourselves in is the evolution of policing. And that uh, society is beginning to hold public safety and policing specifically uh, to a higher standard of just basic what the law allows. Um, what do you mean? Let's just take that further, if you can. So quite often, uh, one can look at and say the law, the law enforcement officer legally had the right to do whatever he had the right to do. I, I, I expressed, I explained this just recently where you have two people, male and a female. Female strikes the male mm -hmm. uh, and the male hits her back twice as hard, three times as hard. Legally, he had the authority to do so. He had to, she struck him first. He has the right to defend himself. But did he have to use the force that he did use on that person. That's what's now coming into question. That's how we have to train our police officers because people are realizing just because you have the right to do it, doesn't mean you needed to do it and you have to, uh, we have to train accordingly. And that's the space that we're in and, and, and I think it's justifiable. 
you go back to some summers ago, the two AUC students where we saw the, the footage where they were being dragged out of the car and excessive force was used through the lens of a lot of folks. When you are chief and you have to make a decision right then and there about do I suspend, do we do I ask the mayor to fire an officer based on for folks because they're not in your your position. You're a chief and you have to make these decisions. What do you look for? What's the criteria you've looked for before you make a decision about suspending or firing an officer as it relates to an incident that in, involves either the the killing of a citizen or someone being severely harmed or just plain old they were it was it was misconduct what metrics do you use to make that decision so for me it is it is, it is sometimes it becomes very difficult um because again i have to go rely on the policies and procedures that we have in place i have to rely on the law that's there uh and so when it's a, a policy, if the policy is violated, then it's my decision is easy. If the law is violated, my decision is easy. Uh, what comes into question is when our policy may be dated mm-hmm. or if the law is dated uh, and, and it's a community is demanding something different. Uh, that's the challenge that we may, many times have to face. Are you able to if you talk to a, a new recruit or someone coming into the c- academy and I had a police chief tell me that he said you know Rose I can ask one or two questions I can know right then and there if this person is a good fit for my department is that something that you think you've been able to do in the past or even can do now um I think that we do a pretty good job of of um <clears throat> identifying people that are a good fit uh but you got to understand like in any profession mm-hmm. Uh, I think we have one of the most rigorous background investigations of many professions, uh, taking people through our academies to see if they are outliers there and then putting them through field investiga- uh, field training again to see if they're outliers. And then, I mean, we can go through all of those measures and still there are times we find someone that just slipped through all our cracks and, and wasn't a good fit. Um, but most of the time you you, you, you get it right. An effective police chief, what does that look like for you? And would you say that you have been, or you tried to be, that effective police chief in your years? Yeah, absolutely. I think effective police chief is one that can uh, maintain a public, uh, maintain the police department and move it forward as, at the same time providing a level of safety for the community that uh, he serves. Mm -hmm. And um, as much as we are often measured by numbers, that's not the prop is probably not the right right way to do it. What do you mean mean Um, by numbers in terms of arrest or in terms of officers? Well, right. So a lot of times people are always, uh, they're looking at the number. How many officers do you have? How many arrests did they make? What's the crime rate right now? Um, and, and, and though you have to have some level of measure, one could not be held, uh, to just that, uh, as I spoke about my friend in Buffalo, mm-hmm. um, sadly, 10 people lost their lives immediately. Uh, and, and, and at the end of the day, end of the year, they'll look and say how many homicide that chief has. Uh, the reality is it was probably little anyone could have done to prevent that at that time at the immediate onset, uh, regardless of how many police officers he's had. Mm-hmm. And so is it proper to count that number? Uh, but I think you have to look at the overall uh, actions of that officer, of that chief and his department to see how effective he is in moving both his agency and his community forward. But someone that you know, uh, now in, in Louisville, Chief Erica Shields, and, and many felt that, when I say many, because what you read, that often the chief, and in, the, in this case, and, and with Erica Shields being held responsible for all of that, what happens under their watch. 
is that always fair? Um, uh, you know, I mean, that's the nature of this of our job. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're the the, the top person, uh, you have to take account for that one officer that may you may not run across for the actions he may have taken, she may take out at midnight mm -hmm. while you're at home. Um, is it is it always fair? Probably not. However, for us to move forward as an agency, as a city, sometimes you have to take that sacrifice. What has it meant for you to have served in this city for all these decades? It has been my honor. It has truly been a pleasure, from an honor and a pleasure uh, for me to be um, a son of the city of Atlanta and be put in a place uh, that um, I am charged with protecting all the people in the city of Atlanta and leading the agency that I grew up in. It is truly an honor. I, I couldn't have asked for a grander uh, profession. Are you truly retiring? Are we going to have you come back as the, if the city can't find somebody right away? I, I think I'm, I'm going to retire. I, I, I have confidence in our leadership here. So uh, I think that I can do it this time. All right. Think back to that year when you were a rookie a long time ago, huh? Yeah. You had, more, you had more hair, too, I think, back then. I did. I did. <laughs> I did. Atlanta Police Department Police Chief Rodney Bryant. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Best of luck to you in your retirement mode, right? Indeed. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Take care. Take care. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let me know your thoughts on today's program or any other, because you've already been emailing me throughout the day, rose at wabe.org, and we appreciate it. And we will continue to follow up on both the segments you heard today. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.